I'm a daisy. Father's a plum. That's why we stoned him. which demands the release of The Adventures of Barry McKenzie on Blu-ray, ideally as part of the Criterion Collection with three or four hours of extra features, please, um, simply because it's got Spike in a small role. Now, this podcast is in danger of becoming a, a, a Valentine Dial love-in um, because uh, you know we've covered so far uh, three uh, Goon Show episodes that he, he has appeared in. But you lot seem to love it when he turns up. So uh, here's another one. Now, joining me today is Jonathan Roberts. So let's cock an ear to the conversation. My family was not particularly, in fact, we weren't very radio centric in my youth. So um, and my dad wasn't big on comedy. Faulty Towers, yes. Um, so he kind of started watching Faulty Towers. Didn't he? he liked MASH, things like that. Mm. It's medical. Uh, they were both in a medical thing. Uh, but kind of like from Fully Towers, then I discovered Monty Python because, you know, became a big fan of John Cleese back then. Then discovered Python, then, so, oh, wow, this whole world opened up. And then sometime in the 90s, my mum introduced me to Round the Horn. This is very roundabout the way you so, say. Well, yeah, yeah. Round the Horn, and I discovered, wow, so, so 60s radio comedy could be quite good. Of course, I'd heard of the goons. But yeah. it was, I was never aware of, I never got what was good about them. To me, it was just Prince Charles liked them, apparently. <laughs> Spike Milligan was kind of famous. Mm. Um, yeah, it, so it was kind of around the horn that, and it's really, truly subversive uh, comedy for the time, I think, because, you know, I was told that it used to be on a Sunday lunchtime. How did they get away with that? Well, it's funny. Um, you, it's funny you say that because, as you will know, there's we're, we're probably going to touch on Julian and Sandy, who are a bit later, because um, there's a character in the show we're going to discuss, who's almost like um, uh, an older brother, perhaps of yes, Julian and or Sandy. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So, and then I don't know where I heard it, but it's basically a documentary on the goons. I'd seen the last goon show of all. Yeah, and that. Did not impress me really. Of course, I knew about Peter Sellers, you know, huge comedy star, did all the voices. Uh, very famously, the Parkinson interview. Mm. Um, you know, my uncle said, Oh, you know, it, you got to watch this because he couldn't walk on as himself. He had to come on in character. Yes, that's right. You know, he appears yeah. at the top of the stairs in the German outfit. Um, but then I, I heard it must have been in a documentary because it had two clips that just blew me away in terms of that is brilliant so one uh is one that you played a few episodes ago which is the one of uh they go to an oasis and you know um and then you hit, ah! yeah my, uh, was, uh, mummy fried priest yeah yes yeah mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the one about yeah and the other one was uh from fear of wages which is 
just a genius level joke of and yeah problematic i suppose in some ways but the the enemy are firing upon them and they want to buy some bullets back please tell me how much we owe sigun play him back his account right sir and six will save me <laughs> Please, I promise I pay you back at the rate of a week. Sigun, how much is in English money? It's about. Sir. It worked on so many levels. I mean, the accents that you use for the enemy, <clears throat> not, you know, mm. not particularly uh, good these days. Mm. But the genius, it, it was that level of wow they they made the english money sound really poor and <laughs> shambling and you know that the, overseas they have this beautiful exotic music but for us it's this you know clapped out <laughs> yeah drunk sounding barely managing to keep a tune piano that's fantastic I that. i'd never thought of it i'd never looked at it like that but you're absolutely right I just took I just took it at face value. I just thought it's a funny gag. Well, <laughs> but no, yeah, and, and the, yeah, it's Milligan it, having another poke at the all the time at all the British the establishment. Really, in fact, the other episode that I was considering for today starts with, which, which is the House of Teeth. Uh, mm -hmm. Yep, it starts with Neddy Seagull going hip hip hooray, and every, all the rest of the characters here, hooray. Mm. They can't be bothered. They know that it's awful. Mm. The problem is when you listen to the the TS, the transcription services, you know, editions of the Goon Show, which <clears throat> which are the ones most people have heard, which mm. tend to be edited down, so they remove a lot of the um, a lot of the topical stuff and also perhaps some of the more um, edgier material. Apparently so, yeah, yeah. I keep on hearing about that, you know, especially Sellers having his uh, Churchill impression, which at the time was yeah. Yeah, I suppose at the time, I mean, it's basically the 50s and any kind of um, notes against the government at that time would have been, I mean, they must have you know, had barrages from number 10 all the time, or at least lots of notes from top down saying, uh, tone down the, the humour, boys. Yeah, well, I've said this before. It, it, well, it's not, it wasn't me that first made this point i think i think it's it's pretty much accepted that the um, sewers crisis in 56 was the was the beginning the first cracks in the mm, sort of the, the the age of i've called this the age of deference if you know what i mean where where everyone yeah. knew their place and the government was, was sort of uh, you know above criticism and then you know basically sewers caused the the downfall of a prime minister and 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 not long after that, you had things like uh, Lady Chatterley, and you had things like um, Profumo, and again, okay, Lady Chatterley didn't lead to a downfall of a prime minister, but you know, it was it was all, it all yeah. sort of fed into each other. The sort of promiscuous society that then you know came from there, and you know, by the end of the sixties, you know, everyone was fair game. But in nineteen fifty, in nineteen fifty four, fifty five, to to be making you know. Um, even if it's sort of gently mocking references to the establishment, it, it was seen as, you know, beyond the pale, really. Yeah, yeah. You can kind of see why it captured all these, well, all these young men, all these young boys' ears mm. at the time, mm. you know. 
and why it proved so fascinating to them. Um, because, yeah, it, it must have been just absolutely, I mean, a tired analogy, but it must have been similar to a punk rock kind of thing, you know, that nothing else was there before. In fact, it's strange that there's not much after them either, because it's not like there's got an immediate successor. I suppose you could say beyond the fringe, but that's a few years after. So when they end in essentially 60, right? The, yeah. The goons ends in 60. There's not the immediate, oh, here's the next goons along the way. They wouldn't have been talking about Jonathan Miller and Alan Bennett and Peter Cook and Dudley Moore in Accrington. No, you know, no, um, no. Whereas they would be all sort of gathering around the, the old radiogram to listen to the latest goon show in Accrington. I mean, Beyond the Fringe, Fringe made a huge impact, um, changed the game completely. So did the goons in their own way. Well, if, the goons made more of an impact, I think, in the long run. Yeah. Beyond definitely. the Fringe triggered the satire boom. Um, yeah. Whereas the goons, the goons have more of a lasting. Uh, well, I mean, culturally, goons are, are so much more widespread. I mean, uh, the Beatles is, is the most, obvious part you know that so much of the goon style humor that for for one of a better a slight subversion certainly with the beatles because they were much cheekier much more cheeky mm. than the average uh entertainer let's say not even pop entertainer because they were you if you were in the music industry you were either happy go lucky tommy Steele type or you know, the, the more surly, you know, matchstick in the mouth, kind of I'm a, more of a rocker mm. kind of thing. Mm. But they managed to be nice, cheeky to the amount that would just, you know, charm everyone. Yes. Which, which is kind of, and, and again, the, the humor's kind of there. You can see a lot of the spikeness in, I think, certainly more of John's type of humor, I think. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, it goes into, you know, uh, you've got the Python thing. and the, But I, I think it's, it's interesting that the goons are so much of a radio thing and they've never been able to translate visually. Uh, that kind of has, has probably held them back in, in terms of being fully lauded. They, they were never able to make that next step. Obviously, individually, Sellers became the movie star. Spike did cue to various well degrees, I mean, degrees of success yeah. yeah yeah or degrees of humor really um cue yeah. is, a, is a difficult one too it's it's more of a man just mucking around it seems <laughs> to me a lot of it or indeed just in the later cues just an excuse to get women with the top off which seems to be something yeah like, that's a fair know, point a lot that's of comedy yeah mm -hmm. and of course harry Harry just becomes um, Mr. Light Entertainment, really. Cud cuddly Uncle Harry. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. The, the, the fact that they failed to... Well, they didn't fail, because I think Muckinese Battle did, did I, well. I think... Well, he said Muckinese Battle War, right? What a lost opportunity there. Mm. When I, I, I saw that, I think I saw Kaysen Muckinese Battle on before I started listening to The Goon Show fully. And I thought that was brilliant. I, it, considering, you know, uh, 20 years after that, 20 something years after that, you have Airplane and then you have Naked Gun and Police Squad. 
And it's exactly that kind of mm, humour. That's true. Yeah, yeah. They, they, if they, if I don't know, maybe it was before its time. Maybe it was just a, like a one-off project. But rather than trying to create, it's not so much creating, recreating the goons, is it? Because it's it's Larry Stevens writing that one. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, but it, it's not like the straight trying to like telly goons or something like that or whatever visual versions that they've tried to turn the goons into it was off tangent enough to be its own thing but unfortunately they, just, they never pursued it it just I, didn't take off at the time i think i think that's down to sellers i think sellers by that point because that was 56 six. yeah so give it another year and he was making a smaller show on earth naked truth uh right yeah. um or in fact he was probably shooting those around this time um, well, so, that's around the time his 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 pushy mother kind of yes forced yeah. him into making more. Of, so, so I I, a, I think he had to break away from the goons to some extent to take yeah, that. Yeah. I think so. I think if he'd stayed, if he'd been, if he'd remained at the level of say, I don't know, in terms of comedy. Benny Hill or Frankie Howard, who made films right. in the fifties, yeah. but they didn't really take off. But they, but they became household names and very popular. If he'd stayed at that sort of level and not gone stratospheric, then I, I can well imagine the goons would have, you know, he'd have persuaded Spike or Pike, Spike might not have needed that much persuading. They'd have, they'd have probably done mm. more and more and more of those and honed them, you know, and made, and, and, and we'd be talking about them today. Still those, you know, they are probably talking about the goons brilliant. films. Yeah. 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 Um, do you mind me asking John, sorry, what, what, what age are you? I am, oh God, no, I'm at the age where I have to think about what age I am. <laughs> um, I am 48. I see, just slightly older than me. Okay. Uh, yeah, just by a smidge. Uh, so did you see Muckinney's Battle Hall when it was shown on Channel 4 in 91 or 92? It, it would have been, was it Channel 4 or BBC 2? It's one of the two. I it was, it was, a, it was one of those early afternoon kind of showings. It just happened to be on. Oh, okay, of, okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was BBC Two. I mean, the, the weird thing was is that I can remember one summer holiday on BBC, you know, when they had the kids' programmes on BBC. For some weird reason, they showed Down Among the Z-Men, mm. which was bizarre. Mm. Um, and the running, jumping, standing still film, I think mm. it was, which yep. left everyone nonplussed. I don't know. It's obviously some older producer deciding, oh, let's let's throw this out. But yeah, it was like the, the thing I kind of enjoyed about British TV back then, that there was a bit more randomness to uh, what you could find, like you would find on a bizarre afternoon. It could be like, you know, they, someone had just decided to show Spartacus, it seems. or you know. But yeah, it's no, I must have seen it in the 90s because I remember I was telling college mates all about it. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to, because we've got a lot to talk about and um, you know, we've only got limited time. I'd like to talk mm. about, start talking about the, the show that you chose uh, as your, um, as your goon show yes. for us, for us yeah. to discuss, which is uh, The Canal, uh, which was also, uh, it was, it was one of the, it was remade for the Telegoons as well in 1963. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it, awful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I have it somewhere in a disc somewhere in the, in the loft um but i'm not i'm in no hurry to drag well, it down it's, and it's dust on it youtube oh is it really good. yeah it's on you the little 15 minute episode and it's it is um well you can see why the telegoons didn't take off mm. um my name is neddy Siegel. 
I come from mixed parentage. One male, one female. And that's how it should be. <laughs> my father was the famous amateur brain surgeon, Lord Gritpack Finn. Eddie was one of my adopted sons by one of my adopted wives. In 1899, I built for my family a huge mansion on the bank of the canal. It's my manor, but it was home to me. It's, it's airless. It's it's bizarrely. There's no uh, pace to it. It's I think it's almost like they've just snipped dialogue together to for the puppets. Yeah, yeah. But then again, I, that's one of the things I find with the goons is that I, I can't picture the characters at all. And I work in a visual industry. I have done for all my life. I, you know, I'm an illustrator. I draw. And yet with the goons, I just, to picture them seems to be a disservice to them. And it, it, it doesn't need to be done. I don't need to visualize what they look like. Mm. I have a vague idea of Blood Nark, you know. But mm-hmm. Blue Bottle, I don't need to know what he looks like. I, I don't need to know what any of them look like. It's the voices. They are purely aural characters. Yeah. And I, I, that's what fascinates me. I, I don't think I've known any other, because even things like Round the Horn could, you, you can visualize it and it could easily tran, uh, transfer to TV, could easily transfer to visuals. Mm. Indeed, Python famously, transfers back to audio but goons is just audio only mm. for me anyway yes uh so the canal um series five episode six mm. um now one right first thing i want to say okay is that it's it's called the the title itself it's called the canal yep. and up 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 to this point in the series so the preceding five episodes have have all had pretty flamboyant titles. Okay, so we've had um, the Whistling Spy Enigma, uh, the Lost Gold Mine of Shalott. Okay, that's a bit pedestrian, but you know, still um, the the dreaded batter pudding hurler of Bexel on Sea, the Phantom Head Shaver of Brighton, and the Affair of the Lone Banana. And then we just have the Canal. I just thought I just thought that was an interesting little contrast, and I wonder whether Spike agonised for hours over a title and then just in the end just i'll sod it we'll just call it the canal i don't know you know i think that because the thing about this show is it has the guest star valentine dial yes and he and he's the real reason that i wanted to do the canal i'm fascinated by how well valentine dial fits in to the extent that it's not just he's a good guest star I think he helps Spike focus on the shows. If you look at the shows where he's very prominent, I think the most prominent is this, The Canal, and The House of Teeth, where he's playing very similar characters in them. Um, But I think his presence there helps Spike focus on the script and the story and creates a, you know, he is a central character around which everyone else can circle. Mm. Mm. Compared mm. to other ones which, to some extent, are more freeform to an extent. Um, but yeah, it, I, I find he fits in so well. And again, <clears throat> sorry to bring up the Beatles again, 
he's the Billy Preston. Valentine Dial, this mm. Uh, mm. very, usually, I mean, he, in some ways, the Christopher Lee of his day, just before Christopher Lee, as in yeah. someone who's just known as a horror star, indeed a radio horror star in his um, appointment with fear. You know, he was the man in black with his deep, dark voice. Uh, and everyone would expect him to be very serious and not fun at all. But he he throws himself into it. And he's not just saying lines. He really acts the role as well. Oh, he does. Yeah, yeah. I uh, want to give thanks to um, uh, the wonderful Andrew Pixley. Um, he shared um, a memo from Peter Eason to Pat Hilliard on the 7th of December, 54, which was probably about, Just a, month after this. about a month or so after this. Yeah. yeah. And he, he's critical of program budgets, which he says are likely to frighten producers uh, into avoiding new ideas, playing for safety, and churning out the same old characters week after week. Okay. Um, and, and he comments that Spike wants to write in to the show, wants to bring in new personalities, such as Valentine Dial, such as, unbelievably, uh, the actor Todd Slaughter. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Leslie Mitchell. Uh, but all of these have been turned down on the grounds of expense, uh, with the exception of Valentine Dial. Now, the show with Valentine Dial he refers to which is obviously the canal um it went over budget by apparently 15 guineas uh, but the show has got the highest listing figure of the series so far okay so wow. the, the canal up to that point so by this point that he's writing the memo they're on to the spanish suitcase which is the 11th show of series mm. five um so just and, and just to give you an idea the budget at this point per goon show was 316 pounds Okay, which in today's money, do you want to hazard a guess how much that would be in today's money? Oh Lord, um, I've I could not even start to okay. comprehend it. <laughs> um, Nine thousand two hundred pounds. Good Lord. Okay, um, and he mentions that that two shows in the series so far have gone over budget: the Lost Gold Mine, uh, which was slightly over budget, and the Canal which was uh, £343 or £10,000 in today's money. Uh, I'm fascinated to know how you could... I mean, surely every week would usually just be Spike, Harry, Peter, Orchestra, uh, Ray Ellington, Max Geldray. It would surely be the same thing each week. How, how would it go over budget? I guess Valentine Dial had a fee, I guess. I don't know. Um, oh, I'm thinking more just of the uh, the... The gold mine. Of oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I'd like to know, but uh, I'll have to mm. ask Andrew. Also, one of the things, if you look at the script, the original script, and you look at what actually went out, and forget the transcription services editor version, but if if you look at mm. if you listen to the the restored um, episode of the canal, which is on the compendium, if you compare it to the script, there's there's a, there's either a lot that got recorded and then just junked. And, and never, you know, never used, mm. or they just cut stuff out of the script before they actually started recording, if you know what I mean. But I mean, Blood uh, Knock, Blood Knock is in the original script. There's a scene with Blood Knock, only a short scene when, when Ned arrives at the manor for the first time. Um, right. He meets Blood Knock holding out against some Arabs, of course. 
Um, he's, he's waiting for Kitchener's reinforcements to arrive. Uh, and um, now either that was recorded and then deleted, you know, uh, Peter Eaton got rid of it when he was editing the show, or they just didn't bother recording. They just sort of scratched that bit out of the script. I'm not quite sure. Um, also, there's another scene where the coach driver, which, which we'll get to, there's a, there's a additional bits uh, with, with the coach driver, which again, either were junked or, or, you know, scratched out of the script. Um, mm. So, so yeah, so this show goes out on the 2nd of November, 54. Um, I mean, the, the, 2nd of November 1954 is a landmark day for British radio comedy. Okay, not just not just because the canal went out that day, but what else what else do you think happened on that day that that could be a landmark in British radio comedy? In British radio comedy. Um oh, I don't know. Uh the cast of Itmar doing something or <laughs> I think they're all dead dead by then apart from Jack <laughs> Jack Trade. Uh no the very first episode of Hancock's Half Hour was broadcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well. Uh, uh, it was at, so the, the goons went out at 8.30 on the home service and Hancock went out on, at 9.30 on the light program. Um, I'm not, I've never, and I don't know about you, I've never been a particular Hancock fan, but it, 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 I looked at the original Radio Times listing, the first in a series of programmes based on the life of the lad himself from the files of the Police Gazette, written and adapted from the Junior Goldfish Keepers Weekly by Ray Galton and Alan Simpson. Uh, Sidney James is in Guys and Dolls at the Streatham Hill Theatre London. And then it just goes, <laughs> on to, goes on to list all the, the players, including uh, you know, Kenneth Williams, etc. Um, oh, I, I miss those little adverts that you get, used to get at the end of programs. Yes, yes. Um, I just want to mention as well, just while we're on Hancock, and I don't want to go into Hancock particularly, but mm. that memo from Peter Eaton to Pat Hilliard I mentioned earlier, one other thing um, that gets suggested and quickly dropped, presumably, is there's, and bear in mind, so this was what a month after Hancock's half hour began, that right. this memo went out. There's a suggestion about having some running gags back and forth between the goon show and Hancock's half hour. Okay. Wow. If you could imagine such a thing. <laughs> the BBC radio comedy universe. Yeah. The crossovers. Before yeah. The Abs crossovers. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So there you go. Um, I don't know how that would have worked. Um, probably um, said James would have fallen in the pond or something. I don't know. And <laughs> little Jim would have turned up. I don't know. But that that's an intriguing little sort of tidbit there, I think. Um, oh. Yeah, and in the Radio Times, it has a very lengthy synopsis about this show, about the, the canal, um, which I won't really, uh, often I read these out, but this one actually bears not a lot of similarity to the actual show itself, but it's quite lengthy. Uh, but it's interesting that in the Radio Times listing, you know, they, they have a list of all the characters and who plays them. I, I don't know what happens in between the script and it going to the Radio Times because there's change, there's there's slight changes between the cast list on the script or in the script and the cast list in the Radio Times that week. Okay, so for example, you have the character of Eidelberger, the, the German character, in this. Yes. Okay, in the script, he's and and as it should be, his name is uh, uh, Justin Eidelberger. Justin Eidelberger. In the Radio Times, he's Kurt, Doctor Kurt Eidelberger. 
Um, the character of Gravely Headstone, the butler in the Radio Times, it's um, listed as being played by Peter Sellers, whereas in the script and in the show, it's, it's Ray Ellington, of course. And there's also listed here, Nurk, the gardener, Harry Seacombe. He didn't turn up in the show. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I, I'd love to. And also, there's no listings for Eccles, Flower Jew, or Blue Bottle. They're, they're not listed as characters in the Radio Times. Interesting. So it's very Interesting. odd, isn't it? It's very odd. It's I, just... I wonder if the idle bugger thing, is that just, just an idle bugger is what the, the play on words was meant to be, I believe. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know if that's just circumventing the... Uh, the uh, gatekeepers at the Radio Times to do that. But the rest of it, I, I don't know. I, I suppose the key thing is, is I suppose Valentine Dial, if that's the most highly rated one, Valentine Dial must have been still quite a draw or certainly a name to watch out for. Well, yeah, he, he, gets, a, a, he gets a proper introduction in this show um, as, the, as, as the man in black, yes. um, yeah. which gets a, a nice round of applause. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, as you, as you mentioned before, he was he presented appointment with fear, uh, and it was just it was like little little um, uh, adaptations of classic horror stories and some new stories. Appointment with fear. This is your storyteller, the man in black. Here again to bring you another placid evening in our Far Side series, Appointment with Fear. Loss of memory, the eerie darkness which closes down on the brain, is a subject which has often amused me, and that is why I have brought a guest tonight, Dr. Gideon Fell the celebrated schoolmaster turned detective, to tell you about the Barton case. There sits Dr. Fell himself, all twenty stone of him, with his four chins, his bandit's moustache, his eyeglasses on the broad black ribbon, his face fiery with controversy. And when he tells you about the Barton case, as he told it to me. We trust we shall keep our promise to bring you an appointment with fear. And I was quite interested, just the little research I was doing, I was quite interested to see that uh, many of the stories were adapted for radio by the author, John Dixon Carr, who wrote one of my favorite golden, what do they call it? Golden era detective stories. Um, kind of he wrote like pulp era. Yeah, sort of, yeah, 1930s, 1940s British hmm. um, detective fiction. He wrote um, a novel called The Hollow Man, uh, which featured his amateur detective character, Gideon Fell, which uh, ah. is, a, is a wonderful story. I've read that about three times, and um, there's a good, very good audio version on Audible of it as well. Um, and so, yeah, so, so Dial essentially played the man in black, I guess, who would introduce and would sort of um, bookend He's, he's the Rod Serling character, yeah. really. Yeah. So, in fact, he doesn't have much to do in these things. I listened to a few, mm. one of which has a very similar kind of uh, woman screaming, howling in agony, which is 
features in the canal as well. Yes. Um, but yeah, he, he just like turns up at the start and I, I just wonder if he, he could have been more, seems to me, I think could have been more famous because I think it's just, he seems to have been born slightly just out of time. He does. He, he's, he seems to be quite, um, have you ever seen The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp? Yes. Uh, Powell and Pressburger? Oh yeah. He's, he's in that very briefly as a German officer. Mm. And he's about five feet taller than everybody else. Yeah. So, um, but he's, you know, definitely got that distinctive voice for all the five minutes that he's in there. But you just think, yeah, he would have had the looks, I suppose. And he's got the deep voice. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't make more of, didn't transfer more to films. He's yeah. in The Haunting, of course, which is, of course, you know, the classic yeah. uh, Robert Wise. Yes, yes, that is. That's all that years ago. I haven't seen that for years. Yeah. Um, but he's perfect for this because, th- I mean, this show is, this is this has got a, a classic sort of gothic horror style to it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and as, a, as a fan of Victorian fiction, it, it reminded me, well, obviously not uh, not closely, but I was getting, I was getting sort of, Wilkie Collins and sort of Lady Audley's secret vibes from it. Okay. Um, you know, those sort of sensation novels of the mid Victorian period, which yeah. involve, you know, often involve sort of family secrets and plots and yeah, intrigues. There's, there's someone locked in the attic kind of thing. And, the mad, you know. exactly. Mad woman in the attic. You've got, you've got like uncles trying to knock off nephews in order to be next in line for the family wealth. You've got sisters. <laughs> Um, sisters conspiring to murder their great aunt or, or, or a tyrant of a father with a mysterious past. You know, it's always mm. sort of bound up in the family, families, these, these, these sort of family secrets, often in large. Well, that, that's very much here, isn't it? Yeah, and they're often set in large, in a large pile of bricks somewhere <laughs> in the country. Um, and, um, and obviously that, you know that, that you know this this is obviously a goon show so it's incredibly silly and funny but it's got that gothic thriller style to it and dial is perfect like right? i mean dial was di- dial is dialing it up <laughs> dialing it up to 11 um so so we get the intro from 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 wallace we get in the one of the cut scenes which was was removed by transcription services was another churchill impression um oh uh, which the, there's a there's a mention of Sunday newspapers and sort of the sinful content of the Sunday newspapers and um, <laughs> and you get sellers as Churchill talking about mixed fretwork classes which gets a big laugh um, that got cut out um, and and then yeah I think Harry introduces Valentine Dial ladies and gentle pong this is the man in black speaking a funny thing happened to me on my way to the theater tonight. <laughs> A steamroller ran over my head. (laughs) So much for humor. A steamroller ran over my head. And then, and then so much for comedy and the timing is perfect. No, he is. That's the great thing. He's not just there to be, which they could have easily done to be the straight man, to be, uh, you know, just, just be Valentine Dial, be the man in black, and we'll give you these lines to be a horror guy and we'll be silly around you. He, he gets these, he gets the jokes, he gets the lines. Um, I, and some of them, some of the jokes in this, I don't know, I, I never know what's quite risque for, the, for that time. 
sometimes you know things can be got away with but i i there's jokes in here that he does like there'll be the screaming from upstairs the woman screams from upstairs you know this kind of blood curdling yeah and it's spike isn't it i oh is it spike or sellers oh i thought it was spike um, oh it could be i mean they're, they're both very similar when it comes to that kind of tortured whale <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of thing yeah. but his response is not tonight dear which i think is, is basically yeah. a sex joke yeah in, of course it uh, is. 1954 yeah I, but again it's like there's no other way to interpret that i don't know if it is um it's it's easily it's it's easily um explained away as being something completely innocuous yeah, i suppose, suppose. So. if yeah. if your eight-year-old child asked what what that what does that man mean, mummy? Oh, you, you could probably yeah, very quickly come up with a come yeah. up with an exp- explanation for that. Uh, there's a line where Seagun Seagun can't quite tell if Valentine Dahl is oh, his father. Is that you, father? Yeah, and he says, "Do I have to undress?" <laughs> <laughs> and there's no other way to read that, surely. No. <laughs> I, yeah, the, the but for that. The other joke that he does when the screen comes again is it's in the cupboard by the bed, dear. Mm. And which I don't know, is that a reference to something? Yeah, is that it is. like a famous yeah. no, you know what is that that's, the Poe? That's the Poe. Chamber pot for our younger listeners. Or the Jerry, or whatever they used to call it back mm. then. Uh yeah, no, so you're right. There are there's there's a few sort of near the knuckle little references here you said about him really throwing himself into it and there's i think the best example of that is when it's 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 when neddy first arrives home and and his father says um you know um, just don't go near the canal why father mm. just never go near the canal that's all <laughs> <laughs> is it yeah is it it is that kind of he is as much of a comedic actor as any of them and it is just perfect he fits in so well and it is yeah i, I think it's wonderful I, I think one of the other jokes that i'm i'm fascinated by because it's not often that you get a gag that so really kind of shocks you in a way not not shocks but kind of takes you out of it is they said oh father what's up with you you know you, you look drawn your eyes are red you have dark circles or you, you look a, a shadow of your former self what's happened we've bought a tv set yeah and it's just wow of course tv is still a very new thing then yeah that and it's still seen as you know a, um, a threat to radio <laughs> And yeah, yeah it's, it's just fascinating that, you know, compared to, you know, other references that they have in the good, sometimes I, I, it's rare you get something that spot on that kind of pins it at that particular era. Yeah, well, as I say, often with these shows, that with the restored shows, you, there will be things that can carbon date them to a, a particular week, even, you know, because of a reference of some, you know, something that was in the news that week. Um, now we've got, I mean, a little joke, a little line that is just sort of just throw, just thrown away 
and I just picked up on it really I'd heard it before but I, I, I'd never really listened to it, never really t- took it in was the fact that Dial is or Lord Dial or Lord Valentine Dial not Lord Seagoon mm. he's Lord Valentine Dial he is described as an amateur brain surgeon <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's obviously done all right because he's he's managed to build a manor in Lancashire um for his family it was built in 1899 and we've yes. got we've got we've got his three sons we've got neddy who's away at college he's been 43 years um at school yes <laughs> um and then we've got the other two sons one of whom is just um you barely hear him which is which is the the rarely heard character flower jew and um, and i just want to talk very briefly about flower jew because he is uh his most notable appearance i would argue in the goons is in the episode the histories of Pliny the Elder, when he is one of the slaves on the the what is it, the slave galley, mm. and um, and Caractacus Seagoon is kicking off because he's being captured, and and um, Flower Jew goes, oh shut up you, it was perfectly nice till you got here, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, um, and um, and he's a he's a forerunner of. As we said before, Julian and Sandy, he's a trailblazer for um, for slightly effeminate characters on the wireless. Uh, um, Sellers mentions that he, he turns up on Parkinson. Even there's a Sellers on Parkinson is reading from the Book of the Goons, which which was out at the time, and he's just going through reading out some of the character synopses, and he and he mentions Flower Judy, tells a story which um, I won't repeat here because it. It, it, it's well, it's not very good, um, but no, Flower Jew is you know, like you say, he's just like he's obviously the the it. Well, no, because Eccles is the idiot's son, so what's Flower Jew? Is he just the well, Flower Jew is kind of not in the attic, but the bedroom further down, <laughs> he's yeah. the one that has day release, if you like. Yes, that's a great way, uh, it. yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's kind of like this. Uh, I mean, in these, like you're saying, these Victorian things. There are usually these characters, so there'll be the idiot son, there'll be the, the staunch son, and there'll be the artistic character. Yeah. So I'm guessing he's going for the artistic character there. But yeah, it's it's um it's such a <laughs> I don't know, it, it is such a <laughs> for the goon show, an even more random character than usual because absolutely no bearing on anything. Doesn't move anything doesn't particularly interact with any character just comes in says a line and yeah is gone. he didn't need to be there i mean right you could have swapped out you could have had blue but Bo- oh no because blue bottle's too big a characters to have in this little role but i suppose no, well blue too. bottle has to come in later as the yeah he does he does yeah. he does um but i like flower jew and um uh He's like, like you say, when you've got families like that back in the, you know, back in that period, if you had mm. uh, a rich family, a wealthy family, you'd have, if you had three sons, one would go into the army, one would become a clergyman. And, and very often you'd have the artistic one who would just sort of like be idle and um, just spend, <laughs> just spend his father's cash. Uh, I mean, the thing is, we haven't got, like I say, we haven't got blood knot, we haven't got grip pipes in, and we haven't got Moriarty. So there's, you know, there's three major characters mm. that aren't in it but we do have um reuben croucher it, oh it, yes it, the coachman the coachman which which is which is kind of it's just it's sellers doing his lou voice yeah uh, yeah but he but he's identified as reuben croucher 
in the in the script and his scene was cut his scene with with neddy uh was a lot of that was cut um but there is there's a little bit he says um, oh i should never have come out naked <laughs> <laughs> he's that character obviously it sort of becomes lou but he does get named Ruben Croucher does get named uh, in the next series. I think is it the, the, the episode, the treasure in the lake mm. at the, at the end of that episode, just before the credits, just before the theme tune, Greenslade introduces uh, Adolphus Spriggs to sing. Um, uh, I love Adolphus Spriggs. Uh, what's he singing? Um, I'm walking backwards for Christmas. And he says, and now Adolphus Spriggs with Ruben Croucher on the piano, which is sellers, of course. Uh, so, yeah. So, we have we have these these incidental characters like Flowerdew, like Ruben Croucher. Um, I mean, Ruben Ruben Croucher, the the coachman. It could have been Moriarty quite easily. Could have been Moriarty, um, but you know they they chose to go with him. Yeah, could have been, could have been, or or a Henry Crumb, or a... well, no, because Henry's in it later. Henry's oh, yes. in it later. Um, but the whole the 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 plot is, if you want the plot, the plot is that huh. um, Ned's Ned's been insured by his father with Lloyds of London, a life insurance policy mm. for £40,000. And Valentine Dial and his compadres or his confederates, um, Eidelberger and Yakamoto, they, first of all, th- he gets thrown in the canal, then he sort of drags himself out, comes back to the house. Uh, and then what? They, they set his feet in concrete and throw him in the canal. Yeah, uh, it seems to be that, I mean, the whole thing is that he's insured to have it against having an accident drowning in the canal. But for some reason, despite uh, Lord Dial uh, telling him, don't go near the canal, he keeps on falling in the canal. And that's kind of it, really. He falls in the canal, he gets back out, and then they keep on trying to throw him back in mm-hmm. so that they can call up young Blue Bottle from Lloyds of London and claim the money. Yeah, and all the while, by the way, Eccles, the 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 other son, we haven't mentioned really. He, he's he's just sort of just you know being Eccles. He's just sort of looking on, seeing what he's, he's not bothered. But he's while Ned's been away at school, he's Eccles has had his room, his bedroom, and of course, when Ned gets home, it means that oh, Eccles, we've got this running yeah, gag where Eccles has to uh, herd out all the farmyard animals that has been keeping in Ned's room <laughs> while he's away. Um, and there's another line which got was in the script. I mean, they, they, they mentioned a clothes peg, Ned having to sleep with a clothes peg yeah. over his nose, which obviously has connotations. Um, but there's a line in the script where Eccles says, um, well, you know, when he's got the, the animals out, he says, well, good night, Neddy. Um, mind how you tread. <laughs> 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 We've got the scene with, with Neddy in the canal with the concrete you know, his feet encased in concrete and he's drowning and he's going down up and down. He's, you know, he's, he's essentially drowning in the canal. And we've got the two lock keepers, uh, Minnie and Henry are in the lock keepers lodge. And we've oh, got this yeah. scene, which is, which is really reminiscent of the scene from um, case of the, the missing CD plates where Minnie and Henry were the, the fire crew where Ned's <laughs> Ned's in peril <laughs> in as much as he's got a piano on him. And in this mm. case, you know, he's drowning, and they're just farting about, essentially, aren't they? Well, I mean, they they, they, try, they have to get the instructions to f- work out how to rescue him, and they start reading out, reading out instructions for him to save himself, which uh, starts off first, take three eggs. <laughs> Mixing eight ounces of caster sugar, 
Then stir over a low gas. I haven't got a gas stove on me Here, get! Thank you! Right. Now then, add four pounds of millet flour and bring the mixture to... Minnie? What? What? This isn't the swimming manual. We've got the wrong book, Mr. Seagull. We'd better go in, Henry. It's a shame to waste all that food. Yeah. Coming back! Coming back! And I was just I was just wondering, you know, is it about is it a batter pudding that they're cooking up? Is that the is that the recipe, you know? There's, there's so many great I mean, I love the the mini banister and uh, Henry Cron gags because it's it's uh, they are lessons in how to protract a joke as far as you can yeah and to the limit of endurance because in the previous one the, the my favorite gag in the affair of the lone banana is where N- ned is trying to buy a ticket to go to uh, yeah. south america yeah and he's 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 got to get it from henry and he goes oh i'll t- have to take your details and he goes what's your name ned seager and it plays out either Ned Seagoon, uh, how do you spell it? And he spells out the word, and they spell ask for his address. Oh, yeah. And he goes over again. I see, and after all this, for like five minutes, he goes, it's no good. I'll have to get a pencil. Yeah, <laughs> I love that kind of dragged out humor. But we have we have Blue Bottle, of course. Now Blue Bottle playing a grown up part. He's uh, he's a, he's a representative from Lloyd's of London. He's bought the forty thousand pounds, and it's all in pennies. Of course. I mean, <laughs> how else would it? <laughs> and and it's, there's, the, there's the great sound gag where he's counting it, counting out all the pennies and then Eccles just upsets them and, the, and he has to start again. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a nice vis- audio gag that kind of gets repeated in a later episode where he Ned comes home and he goes, he, he's calling for his mother. Mother, mother. And he, he goes, oh, mother, there you are. And he starts doing all these, you know, kissing sounds. And, mama, 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 mama. and then Ray Ellington says, excuse me, sir, I'm the butler. Mm. And it's, it's kind of that joke gets built upon. Greenslade? I see, I see. Send in Lady Marks so that idiot gardener. He might know something. Right, sir. This way, you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we all we all saw that coming a mile off, didn't we? Uh, yeah, yes. No, you're right. There's also a great sound gag, which gets a big round of applause towards the end. So, uh, Eccles, Blue Bottle, and Ned are locked in the dungeon by Valentine Dial, who um, villain that he is has has locked them in there for reasons unclear. Not quite sure what he plans to do, but anyway. Um, so they're going to break the door down, and then Ned says to Blue Bottle, "You know, run at it, rush the door, see if you can burst through it." And of course, we then have the sound gag. You know the one I mean. I shall charge the door and smash it down. Good man. Stand back, here I go to match what I was splitting it down. Yeah. Ja! <laughs> 
couldn't do that on TV, could you? No, no, you could. I, I think that's what's wonderful about it. There's so much that on TV. I mean, they try and do the butler gag in Teddy Coons, and right. you. There's so much that you you have to not see in these gags to for the joke to work. And I, I think, yeah, anything visually would not work. And that's the beauty of it. It really, you know, the old thing of uh, pictures through sound. But it's, uh, yes. it, it's amazing how how honed these are. They, they are so perfectly formed audio gags, sound gags. Yeah. It, it's it's. It's beautiful. And they're a lot tighter than as, you know, in later series shows. The extended, like you say, the Minnie and Henry sequences, they, they seem like they're, they're sort of meandering and not really, they don't really have a point. There is always a point to them. Yeah, I, I think at some point it's very clear that I find that that a lot of the stuff, they, they just enjoy making the sounds. Mm. And certainly later, there is, you know, they just, yeah, just, just, make the sounds it's like it's whether you know ying tong yid lai po or whatever or, or the hern hern or the hern hern yeah it's it's the it's just pleasing sounds to make and indeed for for uh henry crown mini bannister you know once you get locked into that voice I, I guess it's just you know you could just do it all day oh yeah sure they could sure they could sure they used to phone each other and just talk like that for <laughs> hours uh, by the way gravely headstone the name of the butler that's a larry stevens name and, ah. um, and Larry doesn't get a writing credit in this show, but mm. I'm sure that there was some Larry input somewhere there, you know? Um, I, I, well, I was, there's a Eric Sykes interview where he, he talks about helping Spike. And he's, he's very self-effacing in it in that he says, well, I just sat there. I, I didn't really help him. I, I was just there for moral support. And he, which is kind of very generous of him, mm. but because I'm sure, I mean, is it is season five when it gets a bit too much for Spike? Is it season five around the time that it really starts to the stress? Well, Eric, the show? Eric's sort of collaboration with Spike begins the show after this, which I think is Logie Strikes Britain. Yeah. I mean, Spike in series three was out of it a lot. He, he was in hospital for a lot of series three. I mean, Valentine Dahl actually appeared in a series three episode as well. Um, so he's had one previous appearance on the Gucci. He was in a show from February 1953 called The Tragedy of Oxley Tower. Oh, okay. Um, and that was when Spike was off ill, and it was written by uh, Larry and Jimmy Grafton. Right. And it also had Graham Stark. Oh. Obviously, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, Goonpod has only been going really, what, seven, eight months. And we've covered you know a number of goon shows, but if you include this one, we've now covered three goon shows which feature Valentine Dial. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, we, he's obviously very popular. We uh, there was the Spectre of Tintagel, of course, um, yeah. and uh, the Silver Doubloons. Um, well, the onto the giant bombardon. Yes. Now, John, I'm going to have to wrap up shortly, and I'm sorry to rush it like this. Is there anything about this show that you haven't mentioned so far? No, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm always fascinated by uh, the musical acts, Ray Ellington and Max Galroy. Mm. I just, I don't, I don't know that I've got much to say. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm always fascinated. I, I love Ray Ellington's voice. Yeah. And whilst some of his stuff is a bit, it's very light entertainment, you know, so it's, it's never, I'm amazed that he didn't go bigger. 
Mm. Um, I know that his, his son's singing that Strictly Come Dancing, I think. Yes, he is. Yeah. And it's his son that appear as him, so to speak, in that Jeffrey Rush, mm. The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. Yeah. Uh, but for Rayans, I, I think his, his voice is wonderful. I'm, I'm not always... I, I, I've occasionally skipped the Max Gelbray stuff if it's if it's kind of a. I think the, the one in this one, I think the Max Gelbray in this one is quite good. It's got quite yeah. a quite a pace to it. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, uh, John, thank you, thank you ever so much for for coming on. From you know, you've had to get up at four o'clock in the morning because you you're in Singapore. Um, didn't mention that. Um, um, but you know, thank you for making the the grand effort and and uh, speaking to me through the sort of blurry eyed haze, I suppose of the well, it's, it's, it's still dark outside, I guess. Yeah. Yes, it is. It'll be. It'll, it gets very light very quickly though. Right. For about six, it'll just like switch on like a light bulb. Well, listen. <clears throat> yeah, I hope it. Uh, hope it was uh, enjoyable. And um, oh, I mean, it's a great. I, I'm I'm extremely flattered that you've allowed me on, considering. I think I'm the least uh, name person that you've ever had on. Don't be daft. I've had, I've had <laughs> much lesser known people than you on. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again to John. Uh, thanks for listening as always. Please uh, rate and review, etc., etc. And I will be back next week with uh, another guest. It will be um, returning guest Mark Cousins, the wonderful Mark Cousins, uh, the. Uh, uh, preeminent uh, Peter Sellers expert and he and I will be talking about he will be talking about and I will be listening he will be talking about the uh, early radio career of Peter Sellers uh, which is already recorded and it's a fascinating conversation so uh, please look out for that uh, take care bye <laughs>